God's Word is powerful. It's important to know His Word. It's important to believe His Word. It's important to follow His Word, to live it out in our lives. From the very beginning in the Bible, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And how did He do that? It says He spoke the Word. It said, Let there be light. There was light. He spoke the Word again and again as He created the universe and all that's on this planet. In a parallel passage for Christmas time in the Gospel of John in verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing has been made that has been made. He made it all. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's why it says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 that in these last days God has spoken to us through a Son whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. By His powerful Word, having made purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Jesus is the Word who became flesh. Jesus is the reason for the season. The Word of God. And the Word of God in the prophet Isaiah tells us who Jesus is and what that means to us. Isaiah lived around 750 to 700 B.C., during the time of King Ahaz of Judah, a wicked king, in the time of Hezekiah, king of Judah, a righteous king. Isaiah saw the northern kingdom of Israel destroyed by the Assyrians out of Nineveh and taken captive far away, never to come back. In 750, 700 years before the Son of God came to earth, Isaiah prophesied, he did not simply predict as if he made a good guess about what might happen. Isaiah prophesied, moved by the Holy Spirit, given insight into God's foreknowledge, he prophesied important truths. First one in Isaiah 7:14 says, The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Very important prophecies here. First of all, that a virgin would have a child. Some thought uh, that Jesus was born of a virgin in order to avoid the contamination of the sinful nature of humanity, uh, but that resulted in a, for some in a false non-biblical tradition that the Virgin Mary was born of her virgin mother, who was born of her virgin mother, who was born of her virgin mother, all the way back to Eve. And that's not biblical, that's wrong. It's ridiculous. Jesus was born of a virgin <coughs> because as a, He was a child who was truly the only Son of God sent from heaven. Only one virgin birth in the history of the world because there was only one time that God's Son was sent from heaven to earth. Jesus is truly God coming to flesh. And that makes sense <coughs> that His conception would be unique. And different. As Luke 1 35, Gabriel told Mary, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For as the angel told Joseph in a vision, what the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. What does that exactly mean? I don't know. God knows. And that's good enough for me. So he prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And not a small thing to skip over, that this would be a son. That this would be a son born to her. Male and female are both created in God's image. Both are equally important. Every human soul has value, infinite value in God's sight. But from the start, not, we're not the same. We have different responsibilities. Only women can give birth. The brilliant people of today want you to believe that a man can give birth. That's not so. I saw an article about some high school student in Seattle, Washington, who had his, his paper graded off because he, when asked true or false, only, only uh, women can give birth to children, he said true. Oh, you're wrong. Take it off. We have a strange world we live in today. But only women can give birth. And from the start, men were given responsibility of leading and leading in selfless love. That may rarely happen, but that's the only way it works. That's the only way it can work. So when God came in the flesh, He came as a man. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene, but when He picked the twelve, He picked twelve men. God created men for the responsibility of servant leadership. So the prophecy is there that he'd be born of a virgin, there would be a son, and that he would be called Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word that means God with us, God with us. The prophecy was that the son to be born was in fact God coming to flesh, God with us. Jesus was God with us on this planet when he was a human being. Now he's ascended and at the right hand of the Father, having risen from the dead, but he's still with us. He's still with us. How? He is, God is in us through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit for all who believe. And so the promise is there and kept in Jesus that I'll be with you always, even to the close of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The first prophecy in Isaiah 7 says that it will be a virgin birth, it will be a son, and that he will be God with us, Emmanuel. And then in chapter 9 of Isaiah, it goes on with another prophecy. Verse 1, it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. He brings out another prophecy of what's to come. 700 years before it ever happened that uh, Galilee would be important. The prophecy had to do with Galilee and Jesus was raised in Nazareth of Galilee and much of his ministry was done around done around Galilee in Nazareth and Canaan, Capernaum, Bethsaida in that area. He fulfilled that prophecy. He, the prophecy calls it not just Galilee, but Galilee of the Gentiles. A prophecy that Jesus would do something spectacular, that he would open up salvation to all who would believe. 
whosoever would believe. Galilee, in the time of Isaiah, was inhabited by Israel until the Assyrians took them all. It was not Galilee of the Gentiles. And in Jesus' time, when he was born, it was mostly Jews in that area of Capernaum, Bethsaida, Nazareth, Cana. It was not Galilee of the Gentiles. To call it Galilee of the Gentiles says, hey, God's going to do something spectacular. The gospel will be presented and, and held forth to those who are not Jews, that they might believe and be saved. Whosoever, God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes might not perish, but have eternal life. And then the third prophecy here is the prophecy of a great light. A great light will shine on this land. And that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in Me, whoever follows Me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In that started in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. It goes on to say the Word in the Word was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And in fact, in John 3.16, we just talked about that. God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting light. It goes on to say in verse 17, if I can, all of a sudden it disappeared from my Bible. It happened. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, <coughs> but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light! Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Three prophecies in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee where he ministered Gentiles that the gospel would go out to all and that he would be a great light who has come into the world. Then in chapter 9 down in verse 6 he goes on to prophesy and says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. The prophecy there was that this child, again, would be a son, not a daughter to be born. That uh, not only so, that it goes on to say he would be born. That's important too. Duh? What's so in that? A no, it's not such a duh. It's not like he's going to magically appear among people and all of a sudden show up. In the Old Testament at various times, God appeared to people in human form through angels, through the Son. He, he supernaturally appeared, but this was not the same. He was born. He was born in the normal way. A helpless baby. He had to grow. He had to learn how to walk and to talk. He was a little boy. He was a teenager of all things. He was a young man. All these things. 
He was a son who was born. And then it gives him four titles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I, I just find this overwhelmingly interesting that in 250 B.C., when the Jews translated the Old Testament into the Greek language, and they came to Isaiah 9, verse 6, they just could not deal with this. That this child born was mighty God and everlasting Father. So they just didn't bother translating it. We don't understand that. That doesn't belong there. We only believe God is one. God can't become a man. So they just dropped it off. This is illustrate, illustrates the truth that the devil is at work and always has been to corrupt the powerful Word of God. You can have confidence that the Bible you have is the Word of God. Uh, 99.99999%. But the, the devil corrupted little parts here and there. We, we don't understand what they mean, how they're translated. The devil's at work still in, in translations. Let's try and Let's try and get them to translate it so we just drop that phrase out and, and change that phrase and not worry about it. The devil's always at work, but you can still have confidence that when you look at the Bible and read it, oh, it's easy to understand. It's God's Word, and it's a powerful Word. They dropped out these two titles, but he's given four titles. Wonderful Counselor. In the New Testament, Counselor is a name for the Holy Spirit. Of God. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus said, I'm going and I will ask the Father to give you another counselor. He's saying, I've been a wonderful counselor to you. When I'm gone, I'll give you another counselor. I'll ask the Father to send you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because the world doesn't know him, but you know him, for he is with you, me, and he will be in you. Through the Holy Spirit. He's the wonderful counselor. He says that the Son to be born is actually mighty God. He's called the Son of God, but He's God who has come in the flesh, and God is one. And so the Bible tells us in Colossians 1.19 that God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. In the Son of God, Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God dwelt in Him. Colossians 2.9 says, all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of the Godhood, all the fullness of what it means to be God dwelt in Him in bodily form. He is mighty God. And He's also the everlasting Father as is prophesied here. Jesus said in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus said, Philip, haven't I, have I been with you such a long time and you don't know who I am? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The child born, the son to be born is the everlasting Father. And He's the Prince of Peace. He's called a Prince. He's Lord of all. King of kings and Lord of lords, but he's called a prince because while he's in the flesh, he's subject to his father. He's subject to his father, and he's the prince of peace. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Since we've been justified by faith through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. You have peace in your heart before God. 
to know you have peace of mind. That comes about when you know who you are before God. That you're forgiven of your sins. That you're saved from death and hell. That you're a child of God. A royal priesthood before God. That you're held in His hands. And the Prince of Peace gives us peace in our hearts. And if we're saved by the Prince of Peace, and He dwells within us through the Counselor, the Spirit of Truth, then we should have lives that strive for peace too. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. You strive for peace with those around you, your friends, your neighbors. You strive for peace with your relatives. Christmas is going to be a time everybody getting back together. Is it a peaceful time? Or are people butting heads and mix it up? Strive for peace with all men and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Goes on in verse 7 of chapter 9 of Isaiah and says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. He would reign over David's throne. The prophecy is there. God had made a promise to David. He made a promise to him that your offspring will sit on the throne forever. God made a promise to David. And he had his son Solomon, and he had a son, and they had sons. And for close to 400 years, they were kings over Judah. But then it stopped. Did God fail on His promise? No, the promise was through one. A descendant according to the flesh of David, Jesus Christ, who would reign on the throne forever and ever. And He was King of kings and Lord of lords. How? It began with the crown of thorns crushed into His skull by the Romans. It began hanging on a cross with a placard over Him saying, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. But He rose from the dead and He is King of kings. He's risen as Lord of lords. And the kingdom of Jesus Christ is eternal and lasting. It's lasted this long and it will last forever. Nobody can change that. Communism can't change that. Democracy can't change that. Immorality can't change that. Anything that goes on in our world is evil and is bad and is disruptive and as terrible as it might be cannot change the fact that He is King of kings now and always and always. And His kingdom is one, it says, of justice and righteousness. You know, too often, as modern American Christians, we are very content to talk about vague thoughts and feelings about love, that God is love, and stop right there. And very glad to tell other people, God is love, God loves you. But a more common theme is found here in His Word, that God who is love is a God of justice and righteousness. And you will not get into heaven simply because you have a vague feeling of love in your heart. God saved you to make you righteous. He Himself bore our sins in His body to the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for love. Yes, well, we might live for righteousness, the Word says. 
God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the love of God. No, the righteousness of God. He saved us to live righteous and just lives. It's a much more common theme in the Word of God and it gives a solid definition of what it means to talk about the love of God, about what actually is good and loving. He's an honor. So we have more prophecies there. He'll be a son. He'll be born. He'll be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He will reign over an eternal kingdom that will never end. But there's more. Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 1, it says, a, stu a shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Talks about a shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. Again, we have a prophecy related to the promise of David. The tree of David, 400 years of kings and descendants. That tree was cut down by the Babylonians. And 600 years later, a shoot came out. A shoot from the stump of Jesse, a descendant named Jesus Christ. It talks about uh, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Hebrew word for branch is nazar. And we have a prophecy in the New Testament saying that Jesus, after they came back from Egypt, fleeing from Herod, they went to their hometown of Nazareth to live. And so it fulfilled the prophecy. He will be called a Nazarene. He'll be called a branch. The branch from the stump of Jesse. And it will bear fruit. Verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. All these things. The Holy Spirit is involved in this one to be born from David, from Jesse. And so we find that at the account of his baptism, that John the Baptist said, after me one is coming. I baptize you with water for the forgiveness of sin, but after me is coming one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the waters and the Holy Spirit came down upon him in bodily form as a dove. These things happen. And so the Scriptures was fulfilled. He will have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. That applies most definitely to Jesus. Perfect in wisdom and understanding. But if you believe in Him, if His Spirit is in you, if you follow Him, then you should have these two. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. James chapter 1 says, Do any of you lack wisdom? Ask God. Ask God. He's not, he's not tight-fisted. He's not trying to hold it back. Ask God. And He gives generously to all who ask Him. But ask believing, not doubting. Psalm 119, verse 99 says, I have more insight than all my teachers, <coughs> for I meditate on your statutes. We live in a world where we think Wisdom and understanding comes from hours spent in the classroom and from degrees accumulated. But the simple truth is there. You want wisdom? Ask God for wisdom. 
You want to have understanding and wisdom more than teachers, your own teachers? Meditate on what? The Word. The Word is powerful. Meditate on God's statutes. That gives wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not rely on your own insight. Do not lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He will make your path straight. He will help you in these ways. You want a spirit of wisdom and understanding? Don't just believe in Jesus and then go about your way. Believe in Jesus and say, Lord, help me have wisdom and understanding from the, your powerful word, from your powerful word. It says this, know it, believe it, and live it. Have a spirit of counsel and power. Jesus was the wonderful counselor. He had almighty power from God the Father. But do you know that God wants you to have power in your life too? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Power comes from God's Word to know His love, the depths of His love, the lengths of His love, and to knowing His love to have power and be able to counsel in your own life. Know the Word. Believe the Word. Follow the Word. And then He's have a spirit of knowledge you know, the fear of the Lord. And Jesus had this Perfectly. He always did what pleased his father. He knew his father. He knew what it was to walk with his father. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. As Jesus grew up, he went to synagogue, he went, he learned, he studied the word, the scriptures. How much easier for us today. He had to go to a specific place and unroll this scroll. We've got nice little easily open books or nothing else. You can go online and type in what you want to read and from the Scripture. And it's right there, boom, in 20 different versions. You can look and see and compare. How much easier for us today. It's a simple thing to grow and to be empowered by God's Word. You take the time daily to read to study, to pray, to ask for insight. To not do so, what is that? To not do so, what is that? To be lazy? Be indifferent? Would it be uncaring? Would it be flat out worldly? There's power in God's Word. Know it. Believe it. Live it. Live it. Verse 3 in chapter 11 goes on with more prophecies. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Jesus came and he did not judge by external appearances. He did not show favoritism based off what he saw or heard. You know, many people 
saw Mary with child, what was the common judgment by appearances? Even Joseph jumped to this judgment. Well, hmm, must have been some other guy. Might have to break off this engagement. God said, don't break it off. Go with it. Many knew of Mary and Joseph and this child born in Bethlehem to a peasant woman and a carpenter husband who was laid in a feed trough for a cradle. And what's the judgment by appearances? I'm sure there were many people who said, oh, they're just average folks. They're not important. They're just poor folks. Don't worry about them. Don't give them the time of day. But for some, the shepherds, they got the word. This is the Messiah. Wow! We get to see Him right there. For the Magi, this is the King to come. We will worship Him and honor Him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. They did not look at the outward appearances. They were led by God's Word. And we are called not to judge by appearance. To look beyond the outside. To see unique individuals on the inside. People, a person who's made in the image of God. Yes, a person who has fallen and sinned against God. But someone that Christ Jesus died for on the cross. That they're loved by God. That they can be saved by God if they'll repent and believe and be saved. You look upon others around you, whether a neighbor, somebody you work with, somebody you go to school with, somebody you don't like, and look beyond the outward appearance and say, what could they be if God were in their hearts and Jesus saved them from their sins? Jesus did not look at outward appearances. He looked at hearts of people. And finally, prophecy in verse 4. But with righteousness, He will judge the needy. With justice, He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Again, an emphasis on righteousness and justice. He will strike the earth with the rod of His mouth. With the breath of His lips, He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. We get to repeat the importance of justice and righteousness. Righteousness, faithfulness, believe, do what is right. And he says, this one to come will strike the nations with the rod that comes from his mouth. The rod was a symbol of authority and power. It's the same word used. In Numbers 24, and verse 17, in another prophecy, when it said, I see Him, but not now. I behold Him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter, a rod, the same word. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Balaam gave a prophecy about the star to herald his birth, to shout out his birth, given 1,400 years before it ever happened. He will have a rod to strike the earth. A rod of authority and power. But it comes out of his mouth. It comes out of his mouth. Five times in the book of Revelation, John has a vision of Jesus Christ who has a sword coming out of his mouth 
And that sword is the Word of God. What is spoken, a rod out of His mouth, what is speak, spoken has authority. What? With the breath of His lips, He will slay the wicked. <clears throat> With the Word of God, He is powerful. In the New Testament, <clears throat> the Word of God is called a sword a few times. In Hebrews 4.12, it says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Not the outward appearance, the inward person. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's eyes, but everything is uncovered and laid bare before the, the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. In Ephesians 6, verse 17, it says the, the, the sword is the Word of God. The Word of God. Once again, there is power in the Word. In the beginning was the Word. All things were created by the Word. All things are sustained by God's powerful Word. By His Word, He judges. And by His Word, He offers salvation to us. There's power in the Word of God. And we have the Bible. Do you take the time to know it? Do you believe it? Why not believe it? Especially when 700 years before He was born, it was prophesied He'd be born of a virgin. That He would be Emmanuel, God with us. That He would minister and live in Nazareth and Galilee. That He would be the wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that a star would herald His birth. Do you know it and believe it? And if you believe it, then follow it. Then follow it. Live it. Live a Spirit-filled life of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and of power, of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, doing what is just, doing what is right, not judging by appearances, but valuing all people and desiring all people to repent and believe and be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank You, Lord, for the power of Your Word. And when You speak the Word, it goes out and accomplishes what You desire. And it does not return to You empty. Father, help us to be in step with Your Word, to know it, to believe it, to live it, to follow it, each and every day. Father, we thank You again you are a God who does great things, powerful things, through your word. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. We take your hymn books, turn to number 148, O Holy Night. I invite you, if you have a decision to make, to make.